Today on the Matt Walsh Show, it has become clear this week that major airlines are helping to facilitate the illegal immigrant crisis in our country, and they aren't the only organizations taking part in this conspiracy. We'll talk about it. Also, a prominent LGBT activist in Philadelphia has been arrested for child sexual abuse. He was a friend of another prominent LGBT activist in the city who is also accused of abusing a minor, starting to notice maybe a pattern here. And in a viral video, a young woman explains why she began to question feminism. It all started when a guy paid for her dinner. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. It's the season of giving, but you've already given enough to your internet service provider if you haven't been using ExpressVPN when you go online. And I'm not just talking about the enormous internet bill you pay every month. Every time you go online without ExpressVPN, your internet service provider can see and log every single website you visit. And yes, that includes all the sites you visit in incognito mode. In addition to overcharging you, your ISP is legally allowed to sell all of your browsing activity to third-party advertisers for massive profits. I'm done giving my internet service provider. I always go online with ExpressVPN. The app encrypts and reroutes 100% of my network data through their secure servers so my provider can't see a thing. The app couldn't be easier to use. Simply fire up ExpressVPN on any of your devices, phone, laptop, whatever. Tap one button to connect, and that's it. Unlike your internet service provider, ExpressVPN is committed to your privacy. Their privacy policy has even been audited by third parties so you can rest assured that your data is not being logged by anyone You've given enough to your internet service provider this year, so take back your internet privacy today with the VPN rated number one by TechRadar and Mashable. Visit expressvpn.com slash Walsh and get three extra months of ExpressVPN for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Walsh. ExpressVPN.com slash Walsh to learn more. This week, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, signed a law that will allow local police in the state to arrest illegal immigrants. Uh, the law will also permit state judges to order the removal of those migrants. The Biden administration is going to challenge the law, as you'd expect, because immigration enforcement is generally regarded as the sole responsibility of the federal government, um, even though the Biden administration is completely ignoring that responsibility on purpose they're still going to maintain that states like Texas aren't allowed under the Constitution to do the job for them. What they're basically saying is, we're not going to do the job, but no one else is allowed to do it either. That's their argument. Now, not to sound too defeatist, but the Biden administration is probably going to win the case. And that's what happens every time conservatives try to use the legal system to defend this country's borders. It happened when Donald Trump tried to reverse DACA, which was a de facto amnesty for hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens. Even though DACA was just invented on the spot out of thin air by Barack Obama to help Democrats in an election year, the federal courts determined that the Trump administration wasn't allowed to get rid of it. And along the same lines, when Arizona passed a law allowing police officers to inspect the immigration status of suspected illegal aliens, the Supreme Court struck that one down too. So these kinds of legal defeats have gone on for decades. But this week, Greg Abbott seemed convinced that he can win this fight this time, at least. Watch. Biden's deliberate inaction has left Texas to fend for itself. The authors of the United States Constitution foresaw a situation when the federal government would be inattentive to states that faced challenges at their borders. And in response, they inserted Article 1, Section 10 to the United States Constitution to empower states to take action to defend themselves. And that is exactly 
what Texas is doing. Now, obviously, if Abbott somehow succeeds in this court battle against the Biden administration, then Texas could single-handedly halt the flood of foreign nationals into this country. Texas could ensure that it doesn't become the next California, and everyone who cares about the future of this country would then herald Greg Abbott as a hero, and rightfully so. But given recent history, it's probably worth having a plan B. And what that means is broadening the focus beyond the current uh, occupant of the White House. You wouldn't know this if you listen to a lot of conservative politicians, but the White House is not solely responsible for the immigration crisis at the southern border. They're not the only reason that we're importing entire cities worth of illegal migrants from the third world every year into this country. The Biden administration has some help in that regard, a lot of help actually. And for the most part, the organizations providing this help have escaped almost all scrutiny until very recently. And that began to change this week uh, rather quickly when Ashley St. Clair, who's a conservative commentator, uploaded a video to social media as she waited to board a Delta flight at Phoenix's Sky Harbor International Airport. And while she was boarding this flight, here's what she saw. Watch. I'm at the Phoenix airport right now. I'm waiting to board my flight to New York, uh, to JFK. And it looks like we have a whole lot of migrants who are also boarding this flight that the U.S. taxpayers are paying for. This is what the U.S. taxpayers are paying for right here. Premium seats on Delta that they have people coming here. We're paying for this, shipping them out to New York City because guess what? Everywhere else is at capacity. So they have these sanctuary cities like New York that they're now shipping these migrants to that we're all paying for. Now, Ashley wrote on uh, social media that she later approached a Delta representative to ask what was going on. And she says that she received this response, quote, what does it matter? They're humans too. She then posted this question to Delta on X, quote, why the hell is Delta complicit in shipping illegal migrants from border states like Arizona and New York City? Our own mayor, a Democrat, has begged Biden to stop sending the, the migrants here because we're overwhelmed. Is Delta being directed to transport these migrants or are they willingly shipping illegal migrants to cities they know are crumbling for a paycheck from taxpayers? Now, predictably, Delta has ignored her so far. The Daily Mail independently reached out to Delta. They have not uh, gotten a response yet, which kind of tells you everything you need to know. But Ashley did host a Spaces chat on um, Twitter, uh, X last night, in which pilots joined and said, among other things, that this is a common occurrence at airports. These pilots were too afraid to say any of this publicly, and they used voice scrambling technology to hide their identity. So there's no way to verify what they said, but that was the testimony they offered. What that means is that because of the blackout from the airlines, we don't have clarity on who's paying for these migrants' premium seats. We also don't know why these migrants are in this country. Did they submit a fraudulent asylum claim and get waived in by the Biden administration? That's the normal way that this is done, and apparently that's what's happening in Phoenix. Taylor Hansen with Tenet, uh, Tenet Media says that he saw dozens of migrants at Phoenix's airport this week as well. He reported that uh, they were receiving expedited security screening at the airport which is just what you want to hear. And when he spoke to some of these migrants, they admitted that they were here to get jobs, not because they had legitimate asylum claims, which would require fear of persecution in their home country. Watch. 
Hansen with Tenant Media. Today I'm at the Phoenix Airport right after the AmFest event and there are migrants everywhere. They're receiving priority boarding, they're skipping security lines, they have their own security area so it's completely expedited on their behalf. I've run into over 40 migrants alone already. I've only been here for 30 minutes. Uh, you know we've talked to migrants from Africa, um, from other regions out there. We have Venezuelan migrants, quite a few of them, Mexican migrants. So coming from all over, a lot of them are flying into North Carolina, uh, Charlotte. You got some going into Philadelphia, New New York and Texas so far. But as the story develops, I'll be posting more. This will probably be a part of a bigger report, but they're absolutely everywhere in the airport. You can't look anywhere throughout this place without seeing them. ¿Por qué decidieron salirse de Guatemala para venirse para acá, para Estados Unidos? En lo personal, trabajar y seguir estudiando. ¿A trabajar y seguir estudiando? Ok. Now, Current Revolt also reported that uh, some migrants had to be escorted out of women's bathrooms at the airport um, after they barged right in. So at least they've already been Americanized in that respect, I guess. Again, we, we really have no idea how large scale this operation is or who's paying for it. But it does appear that Delta and other airlines know something that they're not telling us. And if the federal government is paying an airline to relocate illegal migrants, it wouldn't be the first time that's happened. Last year, an official in Westchester County, New York, obtained footage showing that migrants were being transported on secret charter flights in the middle of the night from the southern border to New York. And body camera footage dated August 13th, 2021. One federal contractor tells a Westchester County police officer that, quote, the government is betraying the American people. Watch. You're on a, a secure facility here, and, and we don't really know anything, and we're in charge of security. Mid-August, a county police officer records an early morning flight on his body cam as he tries to figure out what's going on. Like a basketball team that has more security. Former county executive and current gubernatorial candidate Rob Astorino received the footage as part of a Freedom of Information request. I was completely shocked, but not surprised. Astorino says it shows the government is lying, using taxpayer money to settle undocumented immigrants in Westchester. I saw with my own eyes. Uh, different flights that had adult men getting off it and they were put on buses and they were taken to the Costco parking lot in Port Chester and released into cars. Homeland Security told us over the summer the flights are legal and reuniting kids with families, not bringing anyone here to resettle them. But DHS wants everything on the download. The video shows contractors telling the officer they're not allowed to show their work IDs and they don't even know where they're going. I close it off. Yeah, definitely. I get out. The government's betraying the American people. So DHS claimed that nothing was out of the ordinary. They claimed that the contractors were lying and that the Biden administration is just trying to reunite families and for some reason they're doing it in the middle of the night. Oh, and also they, they just forgot to disclose this to anyone until this body cam footage leaked and they had to come up with some explanation as quickly as possible. Now, even if you buy that story, nobody's ever explained why the federal government should be in the business of, quote, reuniting people in the first place. If you as an American citizen are separated from your family because you commit a crime, then guess what? The government's not going to pay for your family to visit you in prison, nor should they. The whole premise is absurd. But it's gone basically unchallenged. And so private companies have continued to facilitate the transportation of migrants throughout the country. Yesterday, 
The investigative journalist James O'Keefe interviewed the driver of a limousine company who admitted that he routinely shuttles migrants to Phoenix's airport. Listen. Are those migrants from the border you just dropped off? That's correct. And, and, and where, who do you work for? This is for, this is for James O'Keefe, video investigation. Who do you work for? What are you investigating? I'm investigating why buses are pulling up to Phoenix Sky Harbor and they're dropping off illegal immigrants, migrants, and a lot of the people in the front desks are upset about it. People working for the airlines. Why? Why are they upset about it? They're upset about people who are that airline tickets and they're upset because of the hygiene, oh. hygiene on the, on the airplanes, and, there, and there's some concerns, oh. and health concerns. I'll take that up with the city, the city or the state. Just take that up with the city or the state. Who do you work for? What does it matter? You work for the government or the airlines? Well, it matters because the public the public has a right to know. If you take that up with the city or the state. Can you tell me who you work I can find out. I mean, I work for Jet Limousine. You, you work for Jet Limousine. And who hired you? I don't know who contracted us. You don't know who contracted you? Uh, and what's your name? I mean, I could find out. So you notice the secrecy of the whole operation. The guy claims he's not doing anything wrong, but he also doesn't want to mention his name or his employer or who hired his employer or where he's picking up these migrants. We've seen a lot of this kind of thing lately. A few months ago, a New, York, uh, a New Yorker noticed a bunch of guards standing outside a hotel. It turned out to be one of the many hotels that's been co-opted for use as an emergency migrant shelter. So watch how the guards responded to the man's questions. Oh, it's a shelter. Oh, good looking. It's a shelter, man. Pete, you heard? You're not supposed to do that. Excuse me? You're not supposed to film here. That's Who? What I'm you. You're not supposed to film here. What is this? I don't know. You're not, you're not, you don't have right to do this. I don't have okay. the right to do what? Yes, you don't have right to film in here. That's what I'm telling you. What is this over here? And who are you? Okay, you want to know who I am? Please, sir, you're not, you don't have right to film here. I'm talking to you right now. You don't have right to film here. Can you please? Who are you? I don't know. Bro, who are you? The building. They don't want nobody out here. They don't want nobody where? They're standing in front of the please. building with a camera. Okay, oh, you, y'all bugger. And you really no, want to be recording, bro. You bugger. All right, you wait. You yo, wait. yo, why are you surrounding me? Why are you surrounding me? Yo? You wait. Oh, you wait. now you want me to wait? No, no, you wait. What's up, relax, yo? What's up relax, with you, relax, yo? Relax, relax. Yo, why y'all surrounding me? What's up, yo? Relax, relax. So they end up calling an NYPD officer over to harass the guy. And to his credit, the NYPD officer refuses to do so. But that still raises the question of who these guards are and why the NYPD is stationed at the hotel. To be fair, New Yorkers voted for this. They wanted a sanctuary city, and they got it. But we're seeing this same pattern of secrecy play out everywhere now. It's not just happening in New York. This is a recurring pattern that's played out again and again. The various organizations that are helping the Biden administration resettle migrants uh, are, are, are very cagey about the whole thing. The only way to get any clear answers is to speak directly to the migrants themselves. And often they're willing to open up about what's going on and talk about it because they also don't know what they're supposed to be secretive about. That's why the other day the commentator using the name Nuance Bro decided to speak to some of these migrants. Again, he was at Phoenix Airport waiting for his flight. That's when he encountered several African migrants from Guinea who were on their way to New York City. And uh, here's how that played out. Hey, can you record? Can you record? Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, which which country? French. French? No, I'm not speaking. Oh, je parlais un petit peu français. Uh, uh, pa- pays, uh, qu'est-ce que pays? He's from Guinea. 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 Okay, and you guys are going where? Um, 
New York. New York. Don't don't the the paper. Can I see the the paper? Le les les documents. The documents don't la the like this one. Can I see the the paper? Le, le, the paper that you have in the backpack. Can I, can I see the paper? Je suis uh, la media. Oui, oui, oui. Vous êtes journaliste. Oui, oui, oui. Can I see the... Can I see the... Merci. Can I see it? Thank you. Merci. Uh, see. Can you uh, come here? So, New York, and this is a Catholic Community Services of Southern Arizona. Okay, so that's interesting. Why are these migrants from Guinea carrying paperwork from Catholic Community Service of Southern Arizona? If you go to that organization's website, you'll find that they claim to help, quote, families who have legally entered the United States and have escaped persecution in their home countries. They say that they, quote, serve migrant families who have left their home countries to escape violence and poverty. So essentially, they're adopting the Biden administration's approach. They're treating all asylum claims as valid, no matter how fraudulent they may be, which raises a couple of questions. For one thing, are these Catholic charities receiving money from the federal government for helping to resettle these illegal migrants? What kind of services are they providing exactly? And we need the answers to these questions because it's not just one Catholic group in Southern Arizona that's involved. Resettling migrants in Europe, the United States, without regard for the well-being of either country is now the policy of the Vatican. With Pope Francis' blessing, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops operates something called Migration and Refugee Services. And they say their mission is to, quote, treat refugees, migrants, and people on the move with dignity, respect, welcome, and belonging. Now, on the surface, it sounds relatively banal and relatively inoffensive and, and even like, well, of course, we treat people with dignity. Who, who would disagree with that? When you get down to the bottom of it, though, you find a lot of uh, what is known in Catholic circles as liberation theology, which was prominent in Latin America in the 1960s. The idea is that the oppressed need to be liberated. It's uh, rooted in Marxist ideology, and publicly, Pope Francis has suggested that he rejects this idea. In the same breath, though, the Pope goes out of his way to make it clear that he endorses illegal migration. Just this week, the Pope defended a group that's charged with um, bringing illegal migrants into Italy. He also told leaders in Europe to start treating migration to their continent as a fact of life and not an emergency. This is not consistent with actual Catholic teaching, by the way, which puts a high premium on the rule of law. Like breaking the law and just bringing illegals in, that's, that's not okay. But that's not how the progressive leaders of uh, the church in the modern age see it. Now, at this point, you have to take a step back and ask, have, have uh, conservatives, you know, ever criticized, especially conservative Republican politicians, ever criticized any of this? When was the last time you heard about NGOs or Catholic charities or Pope Francis or major airlines or limousine charter companies in the context of the immigration crisis? Except for like right now, we're hearing about it. For that matter, when was the last time you heard anything about the white shoe law firms, particularly the firms in New York that offer pro bono legal services to fraudulent asylum applicants? That happens all the time. Illegal migrants from places like Venezuela uh, are coming here with made up sob stories and they're getting high powered legal representation for free. 
When was the last time these organizations were called before Congress to answer basic questions about their level of involvement in the flood of migrants at our southern border? It's never happened as far as I can tell. Now, if we take conservatives like Greg Abbott at their word, then they view this flood of migrants as an invasion. But so far, they've only fought back against the Biden administration, which is well protected by the federal courts. And that strategy needs to change. According to some estimates, Joe Biden has imported 250 years worth of Hispanic migrants into this country in three years. That's not compassion. That is cruelty. That's indifference. That endangers millions of Americans who have done nothing wrong. It destroys our sovereignty and our way of life. And it's going to continue until we admit a very uncomfortable fact, which is that Democrats in Congress and the White House aren't the only reason that this is happening. Let's get to our five headlines. For most homeowners, window replacement isn't something that they've done before, and for many, it isn't something that they want to do, but rather something they have to do. If you've put off replacing windows in your home because it's too expensive, I have great news. You can now get a free in-home window consultation and a free price quote from Renewal by Anderson. Renewal by Anderson's signature service is committed to giving you the best customer experience possible through the perfect combination of the best people in the industry, a superior process, and an exclusive product. Right now, Renewal by Anderson is offering a free in-home or virtual consultation on durable quality, uh, affordable windows, patio doors for $0 down, zero payments, and zero interest for a year. Text Walsh to 200-300 for their free consultation to save $375 off every window and $750 on every door. These savings won't last long, so be sure to check it out by texting Walsh to 200-300. That's Walsh to 200-300. Texting privacy policy in terms of conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates apply. Reply stop to opt out. Go to windowappointmentnow.com for full offer details. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Just a story to start with, Daily Wire. A prominent Philadelphia LGBTQ activist was arrested Monday and charged with the rape of two minors uh, younger than 13. Kendall Stevens, a 37-year-old man who identifies as a woman, had a preliminary arraignment in a Philadelphia court on Monday and was charged with rape, involuntary, deviant sexual intercourse, unlawful contact with minors, corruption of minors, unlawful contact with minors, indecent assault against people less than 13 years of age, obscenity to minors, and endangering the welfare of children. Uh, as, as far as you know, the details of what exactly happened, uh, we still have not been told that. In 2020, the LGBTQ activist was assaulted in his home in South Philadelphia by a person Stephen said targeted him because of his trans identity. And um, that person was convicted of hate crimes. Um, and then this, uh, Stevens became from there uh, an activist with you know, actually quite a lot of sway and influence uh, in Philadelphia, at least. Now, the interesting thing here is that this person, Kendall Stevens, has actually appeared on this show before, not in person, but uh, he popped up in a video that we played a while ago. You probably don't remember, but you may recall at least that a, a few months ago, uh, we talked about a, a far-left activist named Josh Kruger, who was killed in his home. And what seemed, you know, initially, the headline there seemed to be, um, and still partially is, that Josh Kruger was this far-left activist in Philadelphia and, uh, and uh, that, that would always downplay violent crime, and then he fell victim to it himself. But 
Here was a local news report about Josh Kruger that we played on the show, and uh, you'll see who pops up in this in this report. Go ahead and play. And now back to the deadly shooting of a local journalist and community activist. 39-year-old Josh Kruger shot seven times while inside his home overnight. Kruger was known for covering issues like LGBTQ rights, homelessness, and addiction. Our Cheyenne Corinne is live at City Hall for us tonight where he spent time working while living in Philadelphia. Cheyenne, his death has hit the community hard. It has hit the community hard, Sheba, and you can tell because as soon as that news broke this morning of Josh Kruger's death, there was an outpouring of reaction from that same community that he spent so much of his life advocating for. He was loved by so many people. He didn't deserve what happened to him. All loved ones of Josh Kruger's now have our memories and photos, such as this one seen here on his website. The 39-year-old was shot and killed overnight inside his Point Breeze home after a person came in and started shooting. Police say they responded to the 2300 block of Watkins Street around 1.30 a.m. to reports of gunshots and screams. When they arrived, they found Kruger shot multiple times and collapsed in the street. Detectives believe someone came in, shot him at the bottom of his stairs, and Kruger ran outside looking for help. The thought of someone thinking that it's okay to burst in someone's home and kill them in cold blood. You have to think about the kind of mindset of that person. They're dangerous and they're walking the streets. So there you see uh, Kendall Stevens, who is allegedly a child rapist, appearing uh, weepy about this other. So that's one LGBT activist in the city, um, allegedly a child rapist, appearing to testify to the, um, uh, the, the what a great guy this Josh Kruger was saying that he didn't deserve what happened to him. Well, guess what? Turns out that allegedly, well, he actually did deserve what happened to him because allegedly Josh Kruger was also sexually abusing minors, which is what led to his death. The Post Millennial reported uh, recently, the family of Robert Davis, 19, who's accused of killing Philadelphia activist Josh Kruger, claims that Kruger started a drug-fueled sexual relationship with Davis when he was just 15 years old. Before Davis allegedly shot Kruger, according to police, Davis told them that Kruger was threatening to post sexually explicit videos of him online. The Davis family made the claims during a recent interview with the Inquirer, which they alleged that Davis, who's still at large, struggled to keep the sexual relationship hidden, which ultimately caused his life to unravel. Detectives reportedly discovered sexually explicit photos and messages on Kruger's phone during an investigation into his death. Authorities did not reveal if the images and messages involved Davis, but did call the images, quote, disturbing. Authorities gave the evidence to Special Victims Unit, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, and then it goes on with the, the, the alleged um, killer's, the alleged assailant's mom saying that, that uh, he, Kruger was basically trying to blackmail him into doing things that he didn't want to do. And then that's when he uh, eventually, in, a, in a, an act of desperation, opened fire. And if all that is true, and again, it's all alleged, if it's all true, then I think most people would agree that um, did, did he deserve what, what happened to him? Uh, yeah, yes, he did. Um, and if the allegations are true, then, then we're starting to see a whole network form in one city of LGBT activists who also happen to be child predators. I mean... What are the chances of that? You've got one prominent LGBT activist who's killed. Allegedly, he was a child predator. And they, they pull in another prominent LGBT activist 
in the news report to talk about that other guy. Now, he's arrested for being a child predator. It's like you start to see a pattern form almost. But of course, the extent of that, we'll never know. Because um, how common it might be for these kinds of activists to also be uh, sexual abusers, that, that, that is a question that the people capable of answering it are not interested in answering. And so there's a whole lot that will just never be told. But if you are perceptive, at least, you could start to see these dots where they pop up and start to connect them. Uh, and it's hard not to do that here. Daily Wire has this, about one, one million fewer young men were attending college last year than about a decade ago, according to a data analysis by the Pew Research Center. Last year, there were about 1.2 million fewer young people ages 18 to 24 enrolled in college compared to 11 years earlier in 2011. Um, men drove the vast majority of that decline, especially men opting not to attend four-year schools. One million fewer young men were in college last year, while only 0.2 million fewer young women were enrolled. This means that men now make up only 44% of young college students compared to 47% in 2011. That's got a 3% decline in 10 years, which is substantial um, for that, for you know, what is really a relatively short amount of time. At four-year schools, men are even smaller share of the 18 to 24-year uh, student population at 42%. The gender gap is particularly stark among white um, uh, white high school graduates, about half of young white women who have graduated high school are enrolled in, enrolled in college compared to 40% of their male counterparts. In 2011, 52% of those young women were enrolled and 49% of men, a much smaller gap. So that's the story. And, um, you know, we, 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 you will see this cited as an example of the struggles that men are facing in our culture. It's generally seen as a bad thing that we've got fewer and fewer young men who are going to college. And I get that. You know, uh, in many ways, it is, of course, a sign of those struggles. It's a perfectly fair interpretation. It's also um, fair to point out that, you know, again, like, where's this male privilege we're told about? We're told about white privilege. It's hard to find where that's happening exactly. Like, where can, where can you cash in your whiteness chips uh, to get some sort of benefit? What, what, what prize counter can you go to to cash in your chips and get your prize? I, I've never found it. Um, and male privilege is supposed to be the same thing. I mean, that, that, that's, that's even harder to find. Male, male privilege. Where, that, where is that happening? Because basically every societal marker indicates exactly the opposite. You know, college... Uh, attendance is, is dropping. I mean, that's like, of all the markers, that one is the least important. There are all the other things that we talk about all the time on the show. Men are more likely to end up, end up homeless. Men are more likely to end up addicted to drugs. Men are more likely to be victims of violent crime. Men are more likely to uh, commit suicide. Men are more likely to drop out of high school. Men are more likely to end up in prison. Like, on and on and on. By By Pretty much any metric you can name, men are on the short end of the stick. Whatever, the, whichever measuring stick we're looking at, men are on the short end of it. Um, so all that is true, but I also think that when it comes to this particular trend, this is this particular trend with college attendance 
is ultimately a positive trend. Or at the very least, it's the only real solution to the problem. If the problem, when it comes to schools anyway, is that the university system is totally broken and ideologically captured and financially, you know, financial ripoff, the whole thing's a big scam, which it, which it is. Well, the only solution to that is for people to stop going. It's the only solution. It, it's easy to see why men are less likely to go. I mean, for one thing, they're noticing all of these things. Um, and it's not like the university systems are going out of their way to bring men on board. Quite the opposite. And why would a young man want to go into to a, an environment like that where he's going to be demonized and all that for four years? Like, why would you want to do it? It's a very, it's a very, uh, universities tend to be a very hostile environment for young men in a lot of different ways. That's not a positive thing. But I think the result of men not going to college ultimately is a positive. It's the only way to solve this problem. Now, there is an issue, like in the short term, because of the way that society is structured right now, um, in many different career paths that you might choose, if you don't go to college, in the short term, there could be some disadvantages. Because there are, there are you know, a whole bunch of, there, there are a few career paths where you actually need a college education. Like if you want to become a doctor or something or a lawyer, obviously you need more formal education. There are a few careers, like relatively few, there's only a few where you actually need it. And then there are a whole bunch of other ones where you don't really need it. You don't actually need it. You don't, you don't, you don't functionally need a college education, but there is an artificial need for it because these uh, employers, these companies have created this artificial need. It's an artificial barrier that's been put in the way. And that, even though it's artificial, it exists. It's a real thing. But what do we do about it? The only way to stop it, the only way to change it, is for fewer and fewer people to attend college, which means that more and more people, more and more young people, more and more like the next crop of, um, of young workers who are going out into the world for, the, you know, for, for them to, to not have a college education. And then, and then things, things have to change at that point. Things have to start to change. And they start to change with the universities too. Because fewer people go to college, it means that uh, that, that means less uh, funding for these universities, and things start to change there also. But this is this is the only way to initiate that change, I think. Okay, we played clips from the whatever podcast before on this show, and uh, I just want to play this one because this one's kind of nice because it's a, a very very viral clip from that show. I've seen a lot of those, but it's not just some ditzy girl making a fool of herself. Um, it's partly that. But there's also some real wisdom here as well. And let's watch that. A lot of things will be hard for you to comprehend. That's why you're in sex work, because you can't offer value in the marketplace. What the f- <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not really talking to you. I'm speaking against you as a symbol. A symbol of what? A symbol of a declining society where people gotcha. lack values. Mm-hmm. So the point is this. If you had IQ and skills mm-hmm. to offer to the marketplace, gotcha. you can earn a good income. Being that the most valuable thing about you is mm-hmm. something that you never earned. You didn't earn knowledge, you didn't earn skills. It's your breast that you paid for and your butthole. So you market that to earn money, which is to say, if I took your brain and placed your brain into a man's body, you would be in poverty. I'm just good for nothing. Yep, you can't No, you are good for something. That's why you have OnlyFans. And that's my point is that that's what you're good. 
There's actually a few clips from this. Uh, I'm not sure what that guy's name is, but there's a, there's a, a few clips of his uh, interaction with these girls there. Um, his name is the Saint and the Sinner. Is that his, is that his legal name? Well, yeah, that's what he goes by. So, uh, there's a few clips of his interaction with these with these girls that I think are really good. And you know, the thing is, look, I mean, it, it, it in one sense, it's like, and this is why a lot of the clips from the show are, are popular because it's kind of it's like easy pickings, it's low hanging fruit. It's like, yeah, you could sit there and you're talking to some bimbo, you know, and and uh, it's not hard to embarrass her. Um, but there could be some real value to it because the most interesting thing about that clip is what he was saying. And then you look at the, the girl sitting right next to the girl that he was talking to, a look of utter and total shock on her face. She's shocked to hear this, you know, um, and all he's basically saying is that this is, this is degrading. You're selling your body. You're turning your body into an object for sale. This is a degrading thing. You know, uh, this, is not, this is not how you become a sort of high-value person. It's just, just basic ideas. Like, in other words, it's, you shouldn't do this. Okay, it's, it's degrading and bad for you to be a prostitute. It's, it's a disgusting, degrading, self-degrading thing. That's what he's basically saying. Saying it in a more eloquent way. Um, but you look at their reaction, it's like they've never even heard anyone say that, which is, which is amazing. And so it's amazing to consider that because yeah, look, as they say, you know, prostitution is the world's oldest profession. And I don't know if it's the world's world's oldest, but it is an old one. It's been around for a long time, thousands of years. Um, but also for most of those years until recently, yeah, you had prostitutes, what they call quote-unquote sex workers now, but it was understood that this is a, that, you know, this is a, a kind of dirty, gross, degrading thing. It's not, it's, it's, um, it's not a praiseworthy occupation. And it was always understood that way. Everyone knew that. The prostitutes themselves, probably most of all. And now just like these, this basic reality is shocking to people. So you can have, you can have these girls that get into quote unquote sex work and apparently it's like they've never even heard anyone tell them that, Hey, you know, this is, you actually shouldn't do this. Okay. You're, you're worth more than that. Just selling off your body parts is a bad thing. You're worth more than that. You shouldn't do this. This is not a respectable profession. They've never heard anyone say that. Um, it's, it's one of the many basic truths of life that these days people can live their whole lives and never even hear. All right, moving on to uh, this. Here's the New York Post headline. Jennifer Love Hewitt slams being sexualized in her 20s. Quote, I felt watched. Jennifer Love Hewitt doesn't love people who are still obsessing over her younger self. The 44-year-old was surely the it girl in Hollywood throughout the 90s and 2000s. 
starring a career-making hits such as Party of Five, Heartbreakers, Can't Hardly Wait, and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Hewitt is over trolls who keep comparing how she looks now to how her body looked in her early 20s. She was a looker, the client list star said about her physique back in the day while chatting on our recent podcast episode. Hewitt said, but also that 23 and 25-year-old wasn't in her body. I felt watched. I felt like I had to be everything for everybody all the time. I was called sexy before I ever knew what being sexy was. I was 17 years old on the cover of Maxim, and I had no idea why. In 2002, she recalled being told to be sexier on the set of her rom-com Heartbreakers. I know that I'm supposed to be this thing for people, but I don't know what that means. That girl was so insecure and so confused and trying her best. But this girl, who may not look that way, I like who I am, I feel good, I'm fine. Okay, so first of all, I have to say that I I can relate um, in, in a certain way. Because I also feel watched when I'm on camera. Even right now. I get this strange kind of eerie feeling that people are watching. I can't explain it. I can't put my finger on it. Maybe I'm paranoid. You know, when I'm, when I'm in front of a camera, I feel watched. It's almost like she was in a business and I'm in a business where the whole business is to be watched. It's almost like we're paid generously to do these jobs of being watched. I don't know. As for the rest of it, you know, we see a lot of that, uh, this kind of thing these days. You've got these actresses. Um, it seems like every month there's another one, another actress who was popular in the 90s or, or two, the early 2000s or before that. Now in their 40s and 50s and 60s, <clears throat> turning around and claiming that they feel violated because they were, quote unquote, sexualized when they were in their 20s. Like they're, they're going back and complaining about everything that made them a star, all the things they willingly participated in, the opportunities that they didn't just willingly take, but like kicked and clawed and killed and did whatever else to achieve. And now they want to be victims. And, you know, it it gets a little bit tiresome, I have to say. Now, there is an element, oftentimes, with these sorts of things, there's a a valid element to it. Like, she says that she was uh, 17 years old on the cover of Maxim. Well, that's not right. There should be be 17-year-olds on the cover of Maxim. But then she's talking about being a full-grown adult, being like 23 and 25, and complaining about the fact that people appreciated her good looks. And it, it's it's kind of ridiculous. And it does have the feeling of someone who's maybe a little bit bitter about the fact that they've lost some of those looks, I guess, and they've lost some of their, their youth. Now, Jennifer Love Hewitt, still a very attractive woman. Women in their 40s can be very attractive, obviously. So I'm not the one saying that that women uh, can't be attractive after their 20s. I don't think anyone is saying that. Well, almost no one is saying that. But um, but this 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 like it's it's another recognizable pattern that we see here. And also, you know, there's she says that she was being sexualized in her 20s, and kind of it's like this whole idea of when this we use this term of someone being sexualized. You know, she, she was self-consciously marketing herself as a sex symbol in her 20s. And I think that shows how we've really started to use this word sexualized in a way that removes all meaning from the term. Now, there are ways that you can use the word where it means something. Like if you're talking about a child being sexualized, which is something that happens a lot in our culture, and it's evil and terrible, and the people who do it should go to jail. So that's one thing. But what does it mean for an adult woman in her 20s to be quote-unquote sexualized? What does that mean exactly? 
Now, I think usually it's used like interchangeably with objectified. And so they say sexualized, and really what they mean is kind of like objectified. And again, that is something that does happen. Women who are prostitutes, as we just saw, are being objectified and objectifying themselves. If you're in pornography, you are being objectified and you're objectifying yourself. And what does that mean? It means that you are, you are being treated like an object, like not even a person. You are an object to be used for someone else's sexual gratification and nothing else. And so if you are a quote-unquote sex worker, that's the gig. That's what you're doing. And yes, you are objectified. It's one of the things that makes it horrible and dehumanizing. Pornography, again, you are nothing more than a, than a masturbatory aid for whoever's watching it. You're not even a person. You're just an object, as far as they're concerned. Um, but often these days, so there is in that context, we should be able to agree that that's objectification. I suppose you could call it sexualization, too, and it's a bad thing. Well, we should be able to agree on that. Of course, it gets very confused because a lot of times the people that are complaining about us, quote-unquote, sexualizing attractive female actresses in their 20s will then turn around and say that it's empowering to be a, quote-unquote, sex worker. So it's very confused on their end. But I think often what happens and seems to be happening here is that, especially when you have these older actresses that are, that are using the term, um, when they say that they were being sexualized, all it really means is that people noticed that an adult woman is attractive. And that is not sexualizing. And that is also not objectifying. It's not, you're not turning someone into an object. Like if Jennifer Love Hewitt was in a, in a movie when she was 25, people watched it and said, well, she's, she's an attractive woman. It's not sexualizing. It's not, no one is denying your humanity. They're just simply noticing that fact. And now it's, it's, it's uh, kind of retroactively going back and saying this is a terrible thing and you should feel guilty for it. It's all, while at the same time, again, praising sex workers, it's all, it's just a whole jumbled mess of confusion. All right, let's get to the, uh, to was, was Walsh wrong. Christmas is coming, and while you're out shopping for your kids, family, and friends, don't forget to shop for your pets, too. Give your dog the gift of a healthier and happier life with Rough Greens. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Before I started feeding my dog Rough Greens, I had no idea that dog food is dead food. It contains very little nutritional value. Think about it. Nutrition isn't brown, it's green. Let Rough Greens bring your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. You just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for dogs too. Dr. Dennis Black is so confident Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering my listeners a free Jumpstart trial bag so your dog can try it. Get a free Jumpstart trial bag delivered straight to your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700. That's ruffgreens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700 today. Yesterday we talked about uh, Vivek Ramaswamy who's said that he's going to uh, he's, he's going to withdraw from the Colorado ballot in protest of Trump being excluded from the ballot by the activist uh, Colorado Supreme Court in a decision that will almost certainly be overturned and obviously should be. It's one of the most insane legal rulings 
in the history of the country. Like, in certainly, at least in the conversation for the most insane. Um, and But I said, uh, I, I, I made the argument that, I, that on Vivek's end of it, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see the strategy. Uh, you know, I, don't, I, don't see, I, don't see, I don't see how we strategically benefit from other Republicans willingly pulling themselves off the ballot. And uh, plenty of people disagree with my point on that, as expected. Read a couple of those comments. I think your YouTube analogy is incorrect. They don't want people leaving the platform. All the hours I've spent on Rumble is ad revenue they're losing. The more leave, the more likely it is they reach a tipping point where they actually lose advertising revenue. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, enough people could boycott a platform like YouTube or any other big tech platform. Um, And if enough people did, then it, it would hurt. It would make a difference. But the problem is that YouTube, I mean, I'm just talking about the reality of the situation. I don't like it, but it is what it is. That YouTube is such a massive platform. It's, it's so massive that if, if every conservative political commentator who's on YouTube right now pulled all of their content, it, it would be like a drop in the bucket for them revenue-wise. And they would probably prefer it. Like, I don't think we would be doing something that, that would worry them all that much. I think that they would say, well, thank God we got rid of those people. I think they'd actually be happy about it. The people that run YouTube would, would not be upset. Um, which is why pulling your content, I don't think, is uh, necessarily the right approach because you're probably just giving the big tech platform what they want. Like, ultimately, the big, big, tech, big tech platforms, they, they want us to shut up. They don't want us here. And so you leave, you're basically giving them what they want. Totally disagree on Vivek. Isn't this the same thing as saying women shouldn't withdraw from girls' sports competitions as protest against trans athletes? It's about exposing the left of of election interference in the same way of exposing the men pretending to be women in sports. Another comment says, the reason I can see that Vivek's ballot boycott would be helpful is that if, if all of the legitimate candidates pulled themselves from it, Whichever John Smith who won would get no votes in any other state, uh, rendering CO's opinion useless. Colorado's opinion. Uh, No, Matt, they should all remove themselves from the ballot. If Trump is not allowed, do not participate in the rigged game. I don't care about just the win. Ends don't always justify the means. And that's what I saw from DeSantis. He didn't care. Yeah, I could see all that, but I still don't see why... The, the, you know, the left-wing activists and the activist Supreme Court and the Democrats who run the state, why would they, why would, how would that hurt them? That, that's my point. Like, they're, they are our opponents here. They are the antagonists. And so how does that hurt them? All of the Republicans, if, if, if all the Republicans join us, you know what, none of us are going to, we're all draw, withdrawing from the ballot in Colorado. Uh, so, so, so Colorado's not going to have any say over the Republican primary. You think the Democrats in the state would, that would hurt them? Like, why would they care about that? Why would they do anything but celebrate that? Isn't that a cause for champagne and, and uh, you know, confetti as far as they're concerned? It would seem to me that that's exactly what they want. They're trying to exclude Republicans from the ballot. They're trying to disenfranchise Republican voters in the state. That's what this is all about. It's what makes it so evil and wrong. So if other Republicans say, you know what, we're not going to be on the ballot either, then 
you're just, you're further disenfranchising Republican voters in the state. And you're giving the Democrats in the state exactly what they want. Like, what's the win? Why would they say that? So are you imagining that they would, that they would see Republicans doing that, the Democrats in the state, and say to themselves, oh, well, this is, this is no good. We don't want this. Why would they say that to themselves? Um, no, I, I, don't, I don't see any way around the fact that you are giving them exactly what they want. And as a basic political strategy, giving your enemy everything he wants is not a winning move. The majority of Gen Z supports left-wing policies like open borders and socialism. If we don't reach them and change their minds, the country we know and love will be lost forever. PragerU is the leading nonprofit when it comes to influencing young people. PragerU's educational, entertaining, pro-American videos meet young people where they are, online, and opens their minds to the truth, but they need your help. Go to PragerU.com and make a tax-deductible donation. Whatever you give right now will be tripled and have three times the impact. Donate $10, triples to 30. Give 100, becomes 300. PragerU is 100% free to everyone with no fees or subscriptions. They don't rely on ads or clickbait headlines. Contrary to what the left says, PragerU isn't funded by a handful of billionaires. It's funded by people just like you. In order to keep everything, uh, making great content, reaching millions, and changing minds, PragerU needs your help today. So go to PragerU.com to donate. Also, you've heard me talking about how every day uh, more kids' content is indoctrinating your children with radical leftist propaganda. And it's just getting worse. Just this week, the New York Times attacked our bent key kid show, Chip Chilla, for having a weirdly present father, they say, who teaches lessons about dead white people. Imagine that. Those dead white people include George Washington, Neil Armstrong, Benjamin Franklin. Then Coco Melon, a show that has 172 billion views on YouTube and is the most popular kid show on Netflix, introduced two dads encouraging their son to choose whatever feels right, including uh, wearing girl clothes. But it's not just Coco Melon. Peppa Pig... Blues Clues, Muppet Babies, more shows that are supposed to be for kids continue aggressively to push radical leftist propaganda on our children. But at The Daily Wire, we don't just complain about the problem, we create solutions, which is why we've invested tens of millions of dollars into making BentKey, a platform for kids, uh, entertainment that actually reinforces our, our values and protects kids from the most radical ideas of today. The best part is that uh, BentKey has amazing content. Trust me, your kids will love it. Chip Chilla is a blast. Mabel McClay is a throwback to Mr. Rogers. Runes is full of adventure. There are so many more. My kids love them. I know yours will as well. But you don't have to take my word for it. Starting today, you can try Bent Key for free. That's right. Merry Christmas. Just download the app or go to bentkey.com. Use the code UNLOCK to start your free 14-day trial. Now there's no excuse. Give your kids content that they will love this holiday on a platform you can trust. Join the Bent Key family today. Spread the word. Start your free trial and please encourage everyone else you know to do the same. Unlock the new adventure in kids' entertainment today at bentkey.com with code UNLOCK. Again, the code you need to start your 14-day trial is UNLOCK. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. For our daily cancellation today, we begin with a viral video that's been getting a lot of positive attention, especially on the right. Conservatives seem to find it quite encouraging they see it as a sign, perhaps, of good things ahead for the culture as we enter the year 2024. My take, as you might expect, is not quite that optimistic. Uh, I'll explain, but first let's watch the video. Here it is. 
Guys, I went on a date this week and I felt the feminism leaving my body. I live on the east side of LA and if you don't know what that means, it's sort of like the artsier part of LA, you know? It's, it's people say it's like Brooklyn and New York. Like, so I go on dates with a lot of men and women who, you know, live over here. There's always a negotiation about who pays and that's great. I like to pay for people, all that. But what I will say is that I sort of fell into going on a date with the most guys guy I've ever been on a date with. And he's from West West, you know, Santa Monica. He's a bro, right? A guys guy is usually not my type. Like I cannot remember the last time that I went on a date with like a straight bros bro. You know what I'm saying? But it befell me. It befell me in an organic fashion. So I'm on this date with this guy. And the thing about a guys guy is he's putting his card down. He's paying for everything. And I really just, it sort of activated something feral in me. I'm not going to lie. He went to like another bar and he went, he was going to go to the bathroom. So I was getting prepared to pay for our drinks because he's been paying all night. Of course, I'm going to pay for the next round. But as he's going to leave for the bathroom, he turns to me and he hands me his credit card and he goes, here's my card. Get us whatever. It might be time for me to get away from all these, you know, liberal snowflakes on the east side. Okay, now, as difficult as this can be for me, I'm not going to get hung up on minutia here. The phrase, it befell me in an organic fashion, is not really English and doesn't make any grammatical sense. And if I was single and someone uttered that sentence on a date in my presence, I would leave and never call again, and I also wouldn't pay. But that's not the point. Now, as I mentioned, conservatives are generally celebrating this video because it supposedly shows how, in this individual case, traditional masculinity vanquished feminism. She even says that the feminism is leaving her body, which is indeed the kind of thing we love to hear. But on the other hand, if I must be the guy who always finds the dark cloud inside the silver lining, it's hard not to notice that Right now, she only appears to be excited about the fact that the guy paid for everything. Yes, she's discovered a strange new respect for a guy's guy, as she calls him. But at this point, all of that respect is based around the fact that she didn't have to pay for her own food or drinks. If she is awakening to the bleak realities of feminism, so far she has only noticed that feminism is expensive for women. And indeed, it is in just about every imaginable way. Now, there's nothing wrong with a woman feeling impressed by and attracted to a man who can foot the bill without complaint, a man who appears to be financially stable and a good provider. I mean, this is raw biological programming. Women are naturally attracted to providers. They should be. It's healthy and good. If you're a woman, of course you don't want a man who financially depends on you or asks you to go 50-50 on everything. She says at the beginning of the video that usually there's a negotiation about who pays, and she says, that's great. I like to pay for people. But that's obviously nonsense. She doesn't like to pay. Not on behalf of a man, anyway. No woman does. Okay, I mean, it's one thing if it's like a gift, if it's a present, if you take him out for his birthday, but generally speaking, women don't, they don't like paying for a man as a, as a general principle on a date. And, and it, but it's different for men. I actually do like paying whenever I'm out with my wife. I like buying her nice things. I like the feeling of providing for my wife and kids. That's a masculine thing. Men feel better about themselves when they're being masculine. So, uh, 
you know, that makes sense. Women don't enjoy the masculine role, even if they pretend they do. That's why the ones who like to pay will become giddy with excitement when they meet a man who relieves them of the burden of the thing that they allegedly enjoyed doing. So, all of that is fine and normal. But here's where the rubber meets the road. She has discovered that she likes a masculine man because he pays for dinner. The question is whether she will like and accept and respect the other aspects of masculinity. And will she be willing to play her part and be the feminine woman that a masculine man desires? Does she want to select just this one single solitary aspect of traditional gender roles, the one aspect where she gets free stuff, and turn the rest of it away? Because this is how it very often goes with feminists of this sort. And it's why the, the, the swooning that they do over guys' guys very quickly turns to anger and resentment. Because the moment they discover that gender roles aren't simply about getting free cocktails, things fall apart. So to put the question more bluntly for her, you want a man who pays, fine. But are you also willing to drop the feminist girl boss and be the kind of woman that the man who pays actually wants? So staying in the realm of meals here for a second. You can think of it this way. You like how it feels when he pays for your dinner at a restaurant, okay? But how would it feel if you made him dinner at home, okay? If the thought of him paying for dinner makes you all warm and fuzzy, but the thought of you preparing him a plate fills you with feminist rage, well, then the feminism really hasn't left your body at all. Like, in that case, you're just cheap, but you're still a feminist. Now, is that the case with this particular woman? I have no idea. I'm not saying it is. I, I, I don't know. I hope it's not. Um, I just know that there are plenty of feminists out there who are feminists all the time, except when the bill comes. And that really isn't a sign of progress. If anything, those feminists are the worst ones of all, because they don't even have the courage of their own convictions. But all that aside, and with these rather massive caveats established, it is true that these sorts of videos can be an encouraging sign. And it does demonstrate a fundamental truth, which is that gender roles are not arbitrary social constructs. They are embedded deeply in our human nature. It's how we are made. Modern history in the West is nothing but the story of people trying desperately to escape their own nature, trying to suppress and hide from the deepest, most inescapable truths of who they are. It's the story of us looking at how the world was worked for millennia, how men and women have related to each other since time immemorial, and saying, no, all that is wrong. We know better. We'll show you guys how it's done. Only to discover that we were wrong about everything, and that our ancestors were not nearly as backwards and stupid as we, in our arrogance, had assumed. There's a reason things were done a certain way. There's a reason Roles were established as they were established. There's a reason the fences were put up. It's just that we had to tear them down to figure out the hard way why they were there in the first place, to borrow an analogy from Chesterton. So one way or another, this video is a testament to that reality. I just hope that this woman has the fortitude and foresight and the awareness, the willingness 
to see it all the way through. And for that reason, I will not cancel her, but instead, it is again the lies of feminism that are, once again, canceled. And that'll do it for the show uh, today and this year. I'm off uh, tomorrow, and then the whole company's off. Uh, at least all the shows are off for the week, Christmas week. So uh, then we'll be back uh, fresh in the new year. So Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Talk to you in 2024. Godspeed.